The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers, Angela Luzio, is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers, Angela Luzio, is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer of the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 16 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Bonjour, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pas de Chat. I hope you're getting some good beach time, pool time, or whatever downtime you like. Summer is very busy for people like me who spend much of the summer traveling to teach at summer intensives, master classes, and workshops. I began writing my notes for this episode in Bridgehampton and the Hamptons on Long Island before teaching a master class for the Rock Intensive Dance Camp, which is an offshoot of a music camp that is expanding to include other arts. It was cool to visit the, the area there because I, I haven't been there since I attended a pilot summer program that was headed by American Ballet Theater star Cynthia Gregory, Joffrey Ballet star Anne-Marie D'Angelo, and the former director of Cleveland San Jose Ballet, Ronnie Muller. Yeah, the last time I was there was in 2000, it was August. We were in an unair-conditioned cabin, and we would dance outside on a stage, rain or shine. And it was also the first year that uh, West Nile virus came over to the United States, and it entered in Long Island. <laughs> so all I remember is a hot cabin, dancing outside, uh, and them spraying in the the forest for mosquitoes i mean i remember a little more than that but those were the major things that stood out to me but yeah it was cool to be back there for a day uh and i i got there early because there are only a few trains that actually go out there uh, each day so i had breakfast and started my notes for this here episode of pod chat this was just a, a one-day thing for me so if you are in the city and you want a chance to come take class with me, and that by the city I mean New York City, you can find my regular schedule on Broadway Dance Center's faculty page 
online. If you click on my bio, it lists all the classes that I teach. Uh, and if you do go there, you'll see that I teach every level of ballet on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays throughout the week. Oh, and Saturdays through September 8th. And then also through September 8th as well, I am teaching an intermediate contemporary dance class, which will hopefully be extended at another point after that. I've met a few of you faithful listeners over the past few months so if you do come and take class be sure to come on up to me like they have and put a smile on my face and let me know that you are a listener all right so this past week my mom and niece stayed with myself and my husband and they came so that my niece could attend the summer intensive at Greenwich Ballet Academy one of the main schools that I teach at regularly while they were staying with us, I asked if they had any ideas for podcast topics, and they gave me they gave me a handful of good ideas that I'll probably even use into the future. But one of the ones that really piqued my interest this week was a topic that my mom suggested. My mom was an integral part of the development of my career throughout my childhood. She drove me to dance every day of the week, which was sometimes as far as two hours away, because I had a main studio that I went to, and then every for periods of time every once in a while, uh, or, or sorry, for periods of time or every once in a while, um, I would go to schools within up to two hours. Uh, so she was constantly in the car with me. She allowed me to live with my teacher on the weekends during my final year at home while, when I was 16 years old. She brought me to summer intensive auditions in New York City and Washington, D.C. multiple weekends in January and February and March, which was over three hours away from... Uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia where we lived. She let me move away from home at the age of 17 and she supported me emotionally through the whole process. I'd say she did a pretty good job of balancing supporting me but also letting me have some say in what I wanted to do, standing up for me and taking a back seat and letting me learn how to stand up for myself if necessary. Now, she is doing the same thing for my niece because my sister, my niece's mom, is raising three other kids, and two of them are very, very young. My niece is 13 years old, but uh, my sister has uh, my my three nephews, uh, one who is about to turn 12, and then the other ones are practically one and three, or practically three. Okay, but yeah, so two of them are very young, so she's staying home, and she can't come up to stay with us in New York and to bring my niece to the, the summer program each day. So yeah, it makes sense that the first podcast idea my mom suggested was an episode about supporting your kids or grandkids uh, as they work towards a career in dance. What a fun topic and very relevant for me to speak about since I deal with this on the daily. So how exactly do you best support your kid in their training if they have an interest and the talent to take it all the way to the professional stage? Let's explore. All right. So first, I always say just make sure that you are supporting your kid's aspirations and not your own. I mean, every dance movie has <laughs> some aspect of this. I mean, look at Center Stage. Uh, Center Stage was just... Uh, a great representation of this idea. Many parents put their kids into activities at a young age before the kid is even cognizant of their own interests. Uh, and a parent will usually ask their young ones if they're interested in trying an activity. Not really the kid telling the parent what they're interested in, at least at first. What this means is that most parents are offering their kids activities in areas that once interested them or still interest them or that they're 
friends, kids are, are in. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that at first. Once a kid starts getting old enough where they can have a legitimate opinion about whether they want to do something or not, the parent needs to take a step back and let the child cultivate those activities and see if they're actually passionate about them or not. My mom was an opera singer and my father was a musician. Neither had professional careers, but they were artistic minded. When my dad was out of the picture, my mom got to make all the decisions. She had a strict rule that allowed us to cultivate our interests, but also ensured that we were held accountable to our activity commitments and didn't make any rash decisions to quit whatever we did. So yeah, the rule was that we had to have an activity after school at all times. Um, We could change our mind at any point about what we wanted to do, but part of the rule was that if we committed to an activity, we had to finish that activity out until the end, whether it was the end of the school year, if it was a play or a musical to the end of that, um, if it was baseball to the end of the baseball season. And if we really didn't enjoy the activity or want to continue doing it, we were allowed to pick something else for the new school year. Uh, But we always had to be doing something. This worked well and ensured that we chose our passions as we grew more independent and mature. I've seen too many parents trying to live out their dreams of dancing professionally or not even just dancing, just seeking out fame and fortune in some way and more. And I've always found this uh, approach that my mom had for us a really practical way to hold kids accountable without pushing the kids to continue doing something that they hate or forcing them to continue dancing because they've uh, invested so much time and money into the activity. So that's that was really helpful. Um, and I, I've actually shared that idea, that concept with, with other families when they've come to me and asked me how to approach a kid who's maybe losing interest in an activity that they've been doing for a long time. Usually dance. Shocking. <laughs> okay, also, I would suggest uh, that uh, a great way to support a kid is to remember that you may not understand certain expectations that dance requires. Um, and some of these expectations might be the need for daily classes to make sure that the your, your kid's body is being properly conditioned and prepared for a professional career. Uh, sometimes this could be a new pair of point shoes. Uh, it could be monthly. It could be bi-weekly, weekly. For some, depending on how far they are in their training, it might even be every couple of days. As dancers get older, it usually requires students to have to attend local summer intensives, uh, whether it be for a few weeks to meet a requirement or an entire summer. Or beyond that, once they've grown outgrown their local intensives, they may need to leave for outside summer programs. And that may actually end up replacing family vacations. Um, another expectation that dance requires is that pe- students will miss out on certain events for rehearsals, for competitions, and for shows. Um, if families don't find a way to understand these things that sometimes 
get in the way of living a normal life. Uh, kids are con- constantly said to have to sacrifice a lot to dance, but it's not just the kids. Often it's the families. Um, so it's it's really important that these these families that want to support their kids find a way to understand why these things are necessary. At first, it might sound kind of crazy like to say oh i need a pair of point shoes every two weeks those things are like 70 to 130 dollars i don't know exactly how much i made that number up but it's probably pretty close uh but yeah if you don't understand why these things are a certain way it's important that you create a dialogue instead of just angrily reacting and the the first person you should try to have a dialogue with is your child. Um, and granted, a lot of times that the kids won't necessarily even have an answer for you when, when they're younger. But if, if there's an expectation that you don't really understand why it's in place, uh, set up a meeting with the, the school director or a teacher or an administrator to try to, to figure out why those things happen. Um, there are a lot of expectations that just sound crazy over time and uh they become more extreme and more overwhelming the closer a child uh gets to a dance career so if you can help cultivate understanding through these expectations it's really actually one of the greatest supports that you can offer them okay uh piggybacking on the expectations conversation when a school sets certain requirements i think it's also valuable to talk about parent expectations for school and its instructors and coaches um and i feel all of these <laughs> these things are are relevant be- to supporting a child because uh supporting a child isn't just driving them to class or buying their dance clothes and dance shoes um it's being uh a support system throughout their entire experience. And sometimes if your expectations don't align with the expectations of an organization, it can stress out a student or it could even stress out the relationship between you and the student and the school. So that's why I'm talking about all, all of these things. But yeah, so uh, like I said, piggybacking on the expectations uh, when a school sets certain requirements. I think it's also valuable to talk about parent expectations for school and its instructors and coaches. So it's perfectly acceptable as a parent to ask questions when you are confused or not clear about certain things. Uh, I'm a question person. I always ask questions. I think it's a very important tool to use. Most parents didn't dance professionally, so they aren't expected to understand certain aspects of dance or the reasoning and logistics that go into making certain decisions. Common questions I've heard include, uh, why does Susie need another pair of point shoes? Can Steve miss just one more rehearsal? Does June have to take every day of classes? Why were you so harsh and critical of Billy's dancing when I thought he danced incredibly well? Why wasn't Jenny cast as Clara? <laughs> okay, these are not specific people that I work with. I just obviously came up with a handful of names. Uh, but these are perfectly acceptable questions in my opinion. But once they are asked, try to keep tabs on the information that you've received. Because when a parent continues to ask the same question over and over again, it, it doesn't sound the same each time. It can actually appear as if you're challenging the expectations um, or you're challenging what 
response you got with your own personal expectations versus clarifying any confusion that you you may have. Um, there are other questions I have fielded that are a bit more inappropriate to ask, so I will generally answer them once and just let the the, the parent know that it is inappropriate. Uh, and then after that, I honestly hold the parent accountable if they ask again. So if somebody says something and I it I'm not sure if they're trying to manipulate me or if they are genuinely asking this question, I will say, I don't know, let, let me think of a good example. A good, a good example of this would be uh, asking to have a child moved into a different spot or change what their casting is for, I don't know, a showcase piece, for a full-length ballet, for any type of piece in a show. Um, perhaps the first time the parent just can't see past the thought in their mind that their kid deserves a spotlight. But things that they don't consider are the incredible amount of time that it could take to alter choreography if somebody is moved, um, or let alone the time that the choreographer has spent on the piece already. Additionally, it doesn't take into account that multiple parents probably feel the same way about their kids, but haven't stepped forward to ask for it um, because they didn't want to disrupt another child's opportunity maybe to shine. Um, beyond this, it implies that the parent knows better than the professional what they are doing with their work, which is not <laughs> the best the best thing to to impose upon somebody. I usually tell parents to do this before asking a question. I say, is the question you're about to ask a selfish question or is it reasonable when taking everybody else in the room into account? If you're asking a question only because you're trying to get your kid ahead without giving them a chance to achieve the rewards of hard work, you could be doing your, your child a disservice and teaching them a bad lesson in life. Additionally, you could be offending others within your dance community and challenging the positive relationship between you, your child, and the school. Um, so, again, I don't want to deter you from asking questions because what's that saying? There is no dumb question. There is no stupid question. Um, but there are questions that when you're trying to alter exactly how a classroom is being run, a studio is being run, as long as your child is safe and not in harm's way, um, that they may affect others negatively. So it's that idea. If it's a question about something that doesn't affect too many other people, um, absolutely go ahead and ask. But if it's something that might affect other people, first put yourself in the other people's shoes and imagine how it would feel if your, your child was pushed behind another child um, because somebody manipulated that uh, event to happen. All right. Okay. So continuing down this line of expectation, uh, dance careers cost a lot of money. Some people have it and some people don't. But I know that this sounds like supporting your kids. Don't try to use your money to carry weight in professional decisions. All right. <laughs> like I said, we don't all have that luxury, um, but some do. And let's be honest, money helps keep schools running and teachers teaching. But it should never be an expectation that your investment in your child's dance education is a negotiating tool. 
I see this here and there where a family assumes that supporting a child with additional private lessons guarantees them anything from casting to competition success to professional placement in either pre-professional programs or trainee programs or companies. Uh, But what money really only gets kids is access to additional training and coaching to increase their chances to work and focus on having a career. As always in a dance career, the focus should be in the work. And even if you give it all, or if you give all of yourself, including your money, you can't expect anything in return except for your child being educated in dance, learning discipline, learning fitness, uh, and social skills, and all of those different things. Uh, but yeah, especially this is important, especially because dance training should always be taught as if your child is going to make a career of it. And if, if money does sway somebody to give you better casting or anything of that sort, honestly, I think you should probably run from that school as fast as possible because the reality of it is in that moment, you're going to feel good about, uh, supporting your child to get ahead, but they're not actually getting ahead of their own accord. And when they get into a, a larger, pull a a bigger pond uh they may have this sense of where they belong and not understand that they're way behind where they actually were because their training was manipulated in some way in in a smaller school next up if you are upset about an expectation whether it be casting, an event in class, maybe a reaction that your kid had to something or anything else, make sure first to check in with your kid if whatever happened upsets you, not with the teachers. Because what I've found more often than not, the kid isn't always as bothered by something as you think. Sometimes they may say something after class one night about being upset or disappointed. There may even be tears if they're exhausted or if they were worked really hard. And uh, what I find (laughs) is that usually when they wake up in the morning the next day, they don't usually feel the same way. Sleep does wonders for not just the physical body, but for the mind. If there is something that you want to discuss, I, I, I do suggest that you don't wait too long to ask about it. Um, but if there was something that upset you or your, your child, just give it a day or two in order to ensure that you won't approach the subject from an overly emotional perspective. And if you feel an issue definitely needs to be approached, don't do it in front of your kid. Uh, I know that maybe you feel that your child will see you standing up for them. But I can tell you from experience, there is nothing more uncomfortable (laughs) for the teacher and for the child than watching a parent get upset with a teacher. Because in the end, the teachers want the students to do well. And the students have a certain relationship with the teachers. And if a parent gets visibly upset with the teacher in front of them, the kid will actually usually feel like whether they were in the right or in the wrong, the parent, that it is going to affect the teacher-student relationship. So one of the best ways to support your kid if there's an issue that's come up um, is to just pull the teacher aside or to ask the teacher if they have a free moment for a meeting um, and to discuss 
the the issues in private or outside of the studio away from your child or any student for that matter. All right. So now that we've talked a lot about expectations, let's talk about a few other things. Um, so one way I think is, is a great way to support your, your kids in working towards a career is to, it's funny because I feel like when I first listed this, everybody was expecting me to go, you should do this, you should do this, you should do that. But in reality, it's not so much about what you need to do to support them. It's what you don't need to do because <laughs> most of the time supporting your kid is just allowing them to train and flourish. So at the beginning, like I said, when it's, it could come to buying point shoes, um, that's a do driving them, uh, to, to class every day of the week. That's a do going to summer programs. That's a do. Um, all those things are do's, but a lot of times I find that the the challenge the challenges of support come uh when you do something that you shouldn't be doing okay so i don't want this to be like a negative podcast i'm just trying to give you some ideas um but that's why i've been giving you a lot of don'ts all right okay so make sure that you don't push fame for the sake of fame um i mean granted there aren't a ton of famous dancers and like reality like famous not dance famous but famous famous uh you have barishnikov you have misty copeland um you have a few other dancers in the world that they can't walk down the street without somebody coming up to them and maybe asking for an autograph a picture to talk to them um now in the dance world we have dance famous where in our uh community there are these stars that people look up to um and Actually, so piggybacking on this, I just read today uh, an article in Dance Magazine. Dance Magazine has been killing it with the content lately, and it was discussing how Instagram is kind of beginning to shape the reality of a lot of dancers um, because there's so much access to content for dancers today, training dancers in training today that I didn't have as a kid. When I was a kid, we had hard to get VHS tapes. Um, we had dance magazines and we had live performances. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have all these websites with information. We didn't have social media and all that stuff. But, uh, with this rise of social media, anybody can post anything. And, uh, because of that, there are a lot of younger kids that have Instagram accounts. And I, I see this very regularly. They are Instagram accounts that are run by the parents. And they're often photos of uh, kids doing multiple turns, uh, crazy flexibility, like bending their feet like no other, legs up to their necks, um, and different things like that. And then there'll be inspirational quotes. And they get lots of likes and sometimes they get Insta famous. Um, but what happens is a lot of parents end up pushing their kids to have these accounts so that they get a lot of positive attention, they get likes and this and that. But in reality, they're still training. There's still a lot of flaws that need to be fixed. I mean, even a professional has a lot of flaws that need to be fixed. Um, and the, the kids end up thinking that they are succeeding, yet they have 
not come close to succeeding yet. Just because you get tons of likes uh, and you have tons of followers and you may be insta-famous doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be a professional dancer. Really, when it, what it comes down to is the work to become a professional dancer. And if... I mean, I can't say much when it comes to social media because, I mean, I got a lot of my popularity as a freelancer and then a dance educator and a choreographer and a writer because of social media. Um, I wouldn't have half the career that I have now if I didn't have social media. But uh, so social media came into play after I started my career. Um so what I would suggest is, yes, yeah, let your kids do their social media thing for fun, but really focus on on letting the work in the studio um, and on the stage be where they get their positive rewards from. Um, I also see a lot of uh, kids who they do well in something, whether it be a competition or something like that. And that makes them push to do another competition, which makes them do another competition. Then they win an award. And then their expectation is they do the next one, they win an award. Then they need a bigger competition. And it's like this snowball effect uh, that eventually burns out a child. Um, Burnout is a major thing. And sometimes when when families feel like they're supporting a kid as they uh, continue to climb that ladder, they actually are putting more and more pressure on them instead of supporting them. And they are uh, actually creating the downfall of their career before they even get there. So I would say this is one of the more challenging aspects of supporting a dancer. You you want to support the endeavors of a child. You want them to feel excited and proud of what they do. Um, and But at the same time, keeping a gauge of how far they're moving forward if it gets set too fast of a rate and once they start achieving these things if they're if they're continuing to do it because they are enjoying what they're doing or because they feel that they have to one up themselves every time and that and really keeping a gauge uh on that is a great way to support a child and that one's that that's probably one of the trickiest things to do because sometimes kids don't even realize that uh the only reason that they're doing certain things is because they feel obligated to because of their past success. Success it's a it's a hard thing. Sometimes it's <laughs> sometimes it's hard to obtain, but once you start obtaining it, it becomes more stressful and there's more uh, expectation and anxiety around it. There's that word expectation again. I should just rename this podcast the expectation podcast. All right, last one. Um I think a great way and this kind of ties into the last one. Um a great way to support your, your kids is to not act like they're perfect, but to be their biggest cheerleader. Um, the other night I was watching So You Think You Can Dance, and there was this gorgeous contestant, very young. Uh, I think she was 18, a blonde, long, contemporary dancer. Um, and she had a great solo performance. The judges loved her. And then when she went to the choreography rounds, it just went downhill from there, downhill from there, downhill from there. And she ended up getting cut from the show. Um, but what I found really fascinating about it was the fact that each time she didn't live up to the judges' expectations, her response on camera was, I really thought that I did well. Um, and what I got from from that was that she really had no perspective perspective uh 
into her flaws. Um, and like I said, no dancer is perfect. Professionals have flaws. Um, and constantly just singing praises, whether it's a teacher, whether it's a family, whether it's the audience um, or other students in the school, if you're constantly only hearing positive, um, you're not cultivating tools to improve yourself. Um, so what I gained from her audition was that she's just constantly told she's probably perfect and not giving the, the feedback, um, that she needs to continue to improve her dancing. Um, so that was really interesting to watch. But on the flip side of that, um, I experienced something this past year where I was working with a student and the, one of the parents was in the studio with me and, and, and she and her, uh, and the, the parent openly criticized the student in front of the student. And it led to a, a little bit of a challenging conversation that actually ended very well. And I was really glad that we had it. Um, but in that, that moment I said, no, 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 I'm the coach. I'm the one that offers the, the critical feedback. Cause I understand dance and how it works. You as the parent, it's your responsibility to be the biggest cheerleader of your kid uh, possible. So this is another one of those like find a middle ground. You don't want to act like your child is perfect all the time because if you act like they're perfect all the time, they're not going to gain the the, the tools to constructively uh, criticize themselves and to improve. Um, and to look with a, a realistic perspective at their dancing. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> you want to make sure that you are the biggest cheerleader of your of your kids. So I guess the best way to say this is if the kid feels down, don't tear them down even more. Build them up. And then if the kid uh, comes off stage and they feel like it, it went great, tell them how great it went. But all of the in-between stuff, tell them how, how great they're doing and how impressed you are and how much you enjoy watching them dance. But uh, if they ask for feedback, do give them the positive feedback. Well, I'm not a professional. I've never danced in my life. But I did I did notice that you were a little wobbly in some of your balances, like something like that. So it's one of those middle ground things you kind of have to play around with the kid's personality to see what works best but you should never act like your child is perfect but at the same time you should also be their biggest cheerleader all right so i hope that this episode of pot of chat offered you a handful of tools to help you best support your kids i'm uh, if your kid has been training for more than just the creative movement years past the the what is that the preteen years and tween years if they've moved into the middle school high school years um you probably are already getting a grasp on what you need to do to support them but if you were wondering about this or if you were just getting your kid into dance and you think they have the potential to go far, hopefully this will give you uh, some information as to how or how to best support your kids. All right. So if there's anything else that you would like to know about in supporting your kids, please do feel free to reach out to me. I'll give you that information in a second in my outro. Um, and if there is anything that you think that I missed, uh, ways that you've supported your kids in the past or uh, things you think you shouldn't do that may be a detriment to supporting your kids, please reach out to me as well. All righty. 
So with that, I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to sh- reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlos.com. Again, that's www.barrykerolis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolos, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. Life of a Freelance Dancer is now archived, and I wrote for five years about working as a freelance artist on that site. And I now have Dancing Offstage, which can be found at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com. And on that blog, I talk about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel that features my choreography, and you can find that by searching B. Carolis on that website. Thanks for listening in to Pata Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.